Welcome to this podcast brought to you by SBK Healthcare and sponsored by Abbott's Diabetes Care Division. To find out more about further educational podcasts, webinars and interactive forums, please do visit our website at www.diabetes-nnf.co.uk. This podcast was recorded after our interactive forum, Comprehensive Flash Glucose Monitoring Data Interpretation, and it is the ideal tool for you to recap and develop your knowledge. Today, we are very lucky to have with us Dr. Emma Wilmot and Dr. Ian Cranston, and in this episode, they will be talking to you about the ambulatory glucose profile. It is now my pleasure to hand over to them. Thank you very much. So welcome everybody to this podcast. My name is Dr. Emma Wilmot. I'm a consultant diabetologist in Derby and associate professor at the University of Nottingham. And I'm joined today by Dr. Ian Cranston. Ian, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, it's a great pleasure. Um, I'm Ian Cranston. I'm based in uh, Portsmouth Hospital's University Trust down on the south coast. And I also am a diabetes uh, physician with specialty interest in type 1 diabetes and diabetes and renal disease. So we're here reflecting on the webinar that we've been to, and uh, I'm going to actually go straight to your topic, Ian, you were presenting on ambulatory glucose profile. Uh, It's really topical and central to understanding and getting the most from Libre data. So starting off with the basics, can you explain to people what is an ambulatory glucose profile? So the way I always think of an ambulatory glucose profile is effectively that it's a, a data density map of someone's experience of glucose at any given time of day over the last usually 14 days, although you can obviously set it to to a period of time. And and I think what makes it particularly powerful is that rather than the way in which we have tended to look at glucose in terms of averages and things like that, it actually gives you the actual frequency with which people are at a particular glucose level. And I think so you you have this graphic representation that says, for example, at midday, is my glucose level more likely to be five or 15? And is there generally a direction of travel that's happening at midday? So it gives me an idea of saying if I'm if I'm usually at five, but my sugars are usually rising, then I know that I'm likely to be fine. Whereas if my sugars are at five and I know that at that time of day, I'm usually falling then clearly it's a time I will need to be uh, more careful. Um, so I think the, the AGP effectively allows us to see really all of the important factors around glucose and glucose flux um, that we would need to be able to, t- in order to give sensible advice around therapy adjustment. And one of the things that I love when you talk about the AGP is the concept of a fat snake and a thin snake. Do you want to talk us through what that means? Yeah, so I, I think that we, we've, we've for many years, we've sort of looked at this sort of uni-dimensional process around glucose, which is around either an average glucose level or a, or a um, hemoglobin A1c. And I think that what that's largely ignored is this idea of the differences in glucose that happen from one day to the next, which actually is 
for almost everybody living with diabetes, the thing that wears you down, because it's this being able to predict is today likely to be the same as yesterday or not. And so when you're looking at a period of time uh, on an AGP, that reproducibility is directly relation, uh, related to how wide the profile that you see on the image is. And I think, therefore, the aim is always to be trying to look for as narrow a profile as you can, because that means you have the most predictable um, level of glucose. And so, broadly speaking, thin snakes are good, uh, and in particular, thin sunbathing snakes where they're lying nice and flat are good. Um, whereas um, if you have a very fat snake, so if you, if you imagine, as you sometimes see on these David Attenborough films, the snake that's just eaten a deer or something like that, mm -hmm. and it has this enormously wide belly, trying to predict on a given day where your sugar level is within that range is much more challenging. So the aim is always to think about ways in which one can reduce the variability and also reduce the uh, flux across the day or the so-called instability, you know, so that the it isn't high at breakfast and low at lunch or vice versa. It's just sitting as a, as a happy medium all the way through. And I think for most of us, trying to picture that from numbers is actually quite difficult. Whereas when we see it visually, it's a much more straightforward. So when you see effectively lines going down, you can say, well, actually, at that point of the time where a glucose profile is falling, there is effectively more insulin action than I would routinely need if I wanted to keep it flat and vice versa if the glucose is running. So it becomes relatively straightforward to talk about the sorts of changes that might be um, helpful in future days to avoid the same profile. And I guess a sort of recurrent theme that came through the webinar was the concept of glycemic variability. And you've talked about that in the concept of the AGP. But of course, when we look at the Libre data, we've also got uh, glucose variability measured in terms of coefficient of variation. Is that what does that number mean and should we be worried about it? Yeah, I, and I think that's that's something that we, 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 I think we both touched on actually a little bit in the webinar, didn't we? Because, because I think the, yeah. the, the figure that uh, we tend to use by consensus for defining glucose variability nowadays is this, is this so-called percentage CV value. And there has been some beautiful work done looking at what type of variability measure using percentage CV is, is if you like, normal uh, for individuals of different um, population groups, either non-diabetes or type 2 diabetes, type 2 diabetes on insulin or type 1 diabetes. Um, and basically what that has come down to is that the statistics of the coefficient of variability are such that if you have a coefficient of variability above this magic figure of 36%, whatever the average glucose level you are achieving at the time, you will also have hypoglycemia risk. Whereas if you have a reduced variability than that, the chances are your hypoglycemia risk will be acceptable. The difference, of course, is that that's always going to be a moving feast, depending upon what your average glucose level is. And so for me, visually, I think just seeing how wide the profile is is actually a more useful measure. And, and, and my visual cue that I use probably more often than I actually use the percentage CV is saying, if I'm looking at the AGB projection and I can see what the target range was, 
if I can see that the AGP projection is significantly wider than the target range at any point of the day, I know that the variability at that time of the day is going to potentially be a problem. So what we're basically saying is that snakes trump a coefficient of variation. <laughs> I, I'm a great believer in that most of the high precision diagnostics that we use in medicines are actually visual diagnostics. And, and, and whilst numbers are very straightforward, actually, I think visual projections uh, are actually far more powerful. And I think that's absolutely true of the data that you get from CGM and, and the AGP projection as a result. Yeah, no, I would completely agree. And although coefficient of variation data is there, Actually, for me, it's a marker of hypo risk. And I've got that data by looking at the time below range and the ambulatory glucose profile. So in terms of my clinical decision making, it probably doesn't make a big impact. But I guess it's nice to have that there as a measure in line with international recommendations. So another thing which, again, you brought out in your talk is how do we know the AGP that we're looking at is giving us data that's reliable? What sort of steps should people go through to, to evaluate that? Yeah, and, and and I think this is this is almost one one of the catches of software that works really well, because what what we want to get to is we always want to get to the meat and uh, uh, veg, as it were, of, of of the problem. But I think unless we actually look quite carefully on the way to that, it's very easy to find yourself looking at a picture which is actually the wrong picture. And I, and I spent quite a, a while in my um, talk today talking about validating data because I think it's just it's it's potentially I think a relatively boring subject for, for most because we don't you know we don't think that's where our skill lies in in in, in uh, but actually it's the thing that almost always is where the mistakes are made which which is to to assume that this data is valid when actually and I think that the commonest errors are, are, are people looking at, at or and trying to make conclusions when there's actually relatively little data, yeah. because the, the AGP will look very similar, whether you're looking at fully collected data or only 50% collected data. And, but of course, the, the degree of um, confidence with which we, you can interpret that is going to be really different for those two circumstances. So I think, I think this idea of making sure that we just do this quick set of validation checks as we go through, both checking that is this really the date period that I'm expecting to be, because I think most of us will just automatically click into the most recent profile that we can see and say, that's the one I'm going to look at. But actually the most recent profile that's sitting on the um, cloud system may actually not be the most recent profile that's been collected, depending on what their connection has been like, et cetera. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, no, completely. And I think, and I guess there's perhaps people uh, listening today that aren't as familiar with using the Libre. And I think making that transition from um, blood glucose diaries that we're all familiar with uh, into the world of looking at Libre data can be quite daunting. Um, so do you prefer your AGP to that sort of diary setup? What are the advantages and how do we support people in that transition? Yeah, so so I, I think that we, we know that, 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 that many of us like the certainty of a number. Yeah. Um, I, I'm actually completely um, sold on the idea of the AGP projection because I think the challenge when, particularly when looking through um, diary records um, of people, you cannot, when you're looking at numbers, in your head say what's usually happening. Yeah. 
What tends to happen is your, your eye will get drawn to an outlier. Most of the time, your eye gets drawn to a dramatic outlier. And most of the time, the person that you're consulting with absolutely knows why that glucose level was, an, was, was a dramatic outlier. Oh, that was the day I forgot to take my insulin. Yeah. And I, for one, don't, for example, think that's the highest uh, valued consultation. Oh, well, you must remember to take your insulin then, mustn't you? I think where, where, what we should be trying to do in this sort of advisory process is saying, okay, what's usually happening and how can we tweak what's usually happening to be something that you will find a more comfortable and, and, and uh, more effective strategy. So it's looking at what that normal is doing. That's, that's the power of an AGP. And I think the projection I, the, and the, one of the reasons I love it is it, it because you automatically have, because of the darkening shade as it gets nearer the median, you automatically have this stress on the norm rather than the extremes. And I think for uh, me, that's important. one of the biggest powers around, around that projection, to be honest. Yeah, I think that is a really good way of looking at it, actually. And you're right, reflecting back, when you get handed the blood glucose diary, your eye goes to the 22 rather than looking at the fact that the majority of them might be 68, for, for example. Um, and obviously, when you look at the data that we've got, we've got the AGP, but we've also got the time and range. How do you use those two metrics together in terms of your decision making when you're? Yeah. So, so I mean, for, for me, the, the the key bit of the data that we see from the LibreView projection for me is the AGP report, which is a single page, which is a, 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 effectively which is the page which is the endorsed by the international consensus uh, group, which has got uh, three sections. The top of which section relates to the time in range, uh, it gives you a reference for the time in range in terms of what you're aiming for, but it then also tells you for this period of time, what is this person achieving against those uh, targets? But it also gives you a lot of the validation metrics. And also for those of us who like to look at um, average glucoses and variable, it gives us those statistics as well. So I think the first step for me is always to get an idea from that um, top section, which is the numbers, because actually, if someone is actually achieving well, I the one thing I do not want to find myself doing is criticizing someone who is achieving well. Yeah. And it's and and, it, and it's you know I think most of us at heart, um, particularly those of us that have liked numbers, would, would would see ourselves as perfectionists. And so the idea of, and 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 actually even in today's. Um, in today's um, feedback groups, we had that. So, um, so we, we, I think one of the cases that, that I was showing was somebody who had a 69% uh, in target range, but actually had quite a high percentage below range. And, and um, so we literally had someone saying, oh, well, that time in range isn't bad, but of course it could be better. We say no, no. That time in range is actually at target. What's not at target is his time below range. So that's the thing we should be concentrating. And I think when somebody is achieving, what we have to do is give control of the glucose conversation to the person. Say, are you happy with that, or are there things that you would still like to discuss? And I'd be very happy to. But I'm I'm quite careful to then just give when people are achieving well to just give them options to try rather than to try and give them recommendations. Because I think, you know, I'm not living that person's life. 
giving hard recommendations to someone who's already doing well, in my mind, is much more likely to cause hurt than to cause benefit. And so I, so I think starting with the numbers, therefore, is, is that reminder to me not to get too bogged down in everything. Yeah, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But I increasingly find them having, you know, and you can't assume based on time and range about how somebody feels about that time and range because I've got people at 80%, exactly. or 90 etc. And it all comes back to having the person central to the, you know, the conversation and, and guiding us rather than us guiding them. I think there is a really central statement, though, and where the, the, the information we have from time and range is completely different than the information we have from hemoglobin A1c. I think if someone is achieving their 70% in range and their below 4% below range, you can absolutely reassure them that they are achieving well. Somebody who happens to have a hemoglobin A1c of 7%, actually may have very problematic glucose control and to try and reassure that person when they know that their experience is problematic is, 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 is very difficult. But the reassurance based upon the time in range, assuming that they're both achieving both time in and time below uh, targets can be a pretty absolute reassurance in honesty. And I think that's a really powerful position to be able to come from. And a conversation I'm increasingly happen having because I think people with diabetes often imagine they might be at 70% time in range, but they imagine that everybody else is at 80 and just giving them the perspective that actually they, they are achieving the goals and doing really well. Another, another thing which people often feed back and are worried about when they've got all this data and AGP and things to look at is that I've not got the time. This is too time consuming. What's your feedback on that? So I think I think that the, the, the key from that perspective is, is, is developing a, a, a structure that allows you to get through to the nitty gritty, as it were, relatively quickly. And I think for me, it is about this numbers, AGP, individual data. I think if you, if you, a lot of people, particularly when new to looking at CGM data, will start from individual days. And I think you could spend all day looking at one profile if you're starting with the individual days. And equally, you end up giving contradictory advice from one day to yeah. the next. So I think it's from for me, the key about getting through this data is to look from the general to the specific rather than yeah. rather than the other way around. And there are some people that you never really need to get very far beyond the general because they've got very clear statements that you can make from that. Once you've moved, hopefully in, in, in the right direction and things start to get a little bit more specific around meal timings or whatever, like, then it becomes easier because you've already done that work. And I say for me, I, I mentioned it a couple of times this morning, but, but, but I think this Kaizen principle of small steps, but making sure the steps are always in the right direction, I think is such a powerful consulting process over time um, in, in uh, diabetes management, because effectively we are there as therapy advisors rather than anything else. And so I think that the idea is to you want to be giving the right advice at the right time, rather than just trying to flood someone with information all in one go that just confuses. Yeah, no, I can completely agree. And my final question to you on AGP is, you're obviously looking at AGPs day in, day out in clinic. Do you actively encourage the people in your clinic to go away and have a look at it at home in between times? I absolutely do. Um, Although I'll, I'll be honest, I, I don't think I'm as successful in persuading people to do it um, as, as I would like to. I think the 
power of, of looking at the AGP is almost everybody treating themselves with insulin, which for, is the majority of people using CGM devices at the moment, unless they're self-purchased. Almost everybody using insulin is thinking in the moment about now and the next four to six hours and what the decision-making process is. And I think the difference by looking at the AGP is it allows you to step out of that merry-go-round and say, this is what I've been doing. Is it working? And is it something I would like to? And, and, and what I generally try to encourage people to do is each time they're changing a sensor is in the hour or so that they haven't got any data is if they're in front of a computer, have a look and just say, okay, I'm about, I'm about to start a new sensor. In my next sensor, do I want it to look exactly the same as the last sensor? Or is there anything I, what's the one thing I think I will do differently for the next sensor? And it may be to do with a particular meal, it may be to do with, a, but it, that, it, and again, it's, it's almost trying to push that sort of Kaizen principle across to the individual as well as to the consultation. Because I just think absolutely that small steps in the right direction has to be the right approach for almost everybody around insulin self-management. A huge thank you to Emma and Ian and to you for listening to this podcast episode. I do hope that you've enjoyed it and found it useful. Thank you to Abbott's Diabetes Care Division for sponsoring this podcast. And do check out other podcasts in this series with Dr. Emma Wilmot and Dr. Ian Cranston, plus our other events, which can all be found on our website at www.diabetes-nnf.co.uk.